Hi everyone, it's Paul Ward here and welcome to another edition of Farm Talk. We're gonna do things a little bit different today. I am actually going to be my own guest and I don't know if this was a good idea or not, but I got outvoted by my team. So we have a special guest host today, yes. Gerald Emmerich, who is actually also the producer of our show. One of the producers. One of the producers. And he is going to be asking me the questions. So Gerald, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Paul. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Right. And of course, before we start, we want to thank our sponsors, our new sponsor, Opus Escrow, and also The Money Store. This is my first time guest hosting, so bear with me. Absolutely. So I just want to, I want to introduce you a little bit. You're a, not just a podcaster, but also a uh, realtor for over 20 years mm -hmm. and uh, have kind of a, a little bit of a farm background. Have that right? Yeah. Okay. So about half of the properties that I sell have something to do with farming or just living in the country and maybe having chickens. So not all corporate farms, but folks that live in the city that want to live a, a, a quieter lifestyle, uh, call me and uh, say, hey, we want to get out of the big bad city and, and maybe have a weekend house or just completely change our lifestyle and move up to Ventura County and, and uh, have a little bit of space between neighbors. So that's, uh, that's been about 50% of my focus is, are those types of properties. And what's the range? I mean, how far does your reach go? Uh, my primary territory is West Ventura County, so I do dabble a little bit in Santa Barbara County and a little bit in Los Angeles County, but primarily uh, West Ventura County, which would be Camarillo, Moore Park, Somas, Oxnard, uh, Santa Paula, and Fillmore. How long have you been kind of specializing like this? Uh, 20 years. Like I, the very beginning? Yes, you yes, actually over 20 years. So. When I first got into real estate uh, 20 years ago, 2002, um, a top agent in town said, you know, you, you should be out selling the, the country properties, um, given my background, and I can tell you about that. Um, and so I just kind of created this niche for myself and uh, kind of, you know, it's known as the farm guy. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, so a little over 20 years. What was it like when you first started? You know, it was crazy. I. Uh, I had a very comfortable job with, you know, medical benefits and dental and vision and, uh, you know, starting out in entrepreneurship and that's what real estate really is, is, you know, being your own boss um, was tough. You know, people, not a lot of people are going to trust you with their most expensive asset to help them purchase or help them sell their most expensive asset. And so it, uh, you know, it's kind of the, the school of hard knocks. And um, I had no plan B. I mean, I knew that if I had a plan B that I would probably have fallen back on it at some point when things got tough. And so um, just kind of feast or famine. Wow, so you just jumped in the deep end of the pool. I jumped in the deep end. <laughs> and you know, you know, basically a mind shift, you know, when you have a regular nine to five job and you clock out at 5 p.m. on Friday and you don't have to think about work until Monday morning. No, now, you know, your weekends were your busiest time and evenings are busy, are, are busy especially when you're starting. So, um, yeah, it was just a complete lifestyle change. And is there much of a difference between what most realtors do and what you do? Well, you know, I, I think for me and, you know, being in it for 20 years, um, it's really about consistency, you know, and just doing the same things over and over and over again. 
and also um, you know being creative and adding new elements to the to the marketing. Yeah. Uh, but I think for new people that are just starting, it's overwhelming, and I think a lot of people start something and then they don't they don't continue with it. You know, they might do it for a few months and it doesn't work out, and then they just kind of you know kind of that shiny object syndrome or you know squirrel you know you see the nut and what's the next right. nut that you see in front of you um and i'm you know i'm guilty of that too i mean i am very guilty of that but um i think it's really just about consistency and longevity and you know if something doesn't work right away just you know keep at it um you know give it a give it a, a good go before you maybe change direction or realize that this is part of your uh, you know part of your routine you started to talk a little bit about your background, how that plays into it. As a, as a kid, I was fortunate to have an opportunity to work on my grandparents' avocado and citrus ranch, uh, about halfway between Santa Paula and Fillmore. I think it was a Fillmore post office, but Santa Paula schools, or vice versa. So they were literally right on the line between the two, uh, Fillmore and Santa Paula. And, um, you know, you don't appreciate something till it's gone. You know, yeah. I mean, my, my grandparents were larger than life and my grandfather was kind of like uh, John Wayne and his brother, my great uncle, was kind of like Ernest Hemingway. So wow. you can imagine those <laughs> two as my role models, uh, you know, part of the greatest generation. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my brother always protested uh, when we were at home going to church, but when my grandfather was taking us to church, he would, he, would, he would keep his mouth shut. So you did what you were told. But um, it was an incredible opportunity, incredible learning experience. Uh, my uncle was actually my, my boss. Uh, so my, my grandfather kind of handed the reins of running the ranch off to his son, my uncle. And so um, my brother and I worked on the, on the ranch for, for many summers. And, uh, you know, I was at 16 years old, I was handed the keys to a uh, an El Camino, pick, uh, Chevy El Camino pickup truck oh, with a with a V baby blue with a with a V6 engine, wow. and uh, you know 16 year olds are not too bright and um, also like to sleep in, and so my brother and I would time it down to the minute. So we would the alarm clock, we'd do a little, you'd tap the top, you know, to make it shut off. Little mechanical alarm clock would go off at 5:25. We'd throw on our jeans scarf down a bowl of Captain Crunch cereal or something, you know, random like that. And we'd be out the door at, you know, 5.35. We'd give ourselves 25 minutes to, oh to get there when we really should be giving ourselves about 35, 40 minutes to get there. And um, we'd go over a canyon called Balcom Canyon. If you're, you know, if you're in Ventura County, you've, you've probably heard of it. And uh, it's kind of like the Great Wall of China. It's a, it's a twisty, windy road, and you go up and you kind of see the, the canyon at the base with all the mm -hmm. cars that have fallen over the edge, and, or there used to be. And I'd ask my brother, how many minutes do we have left? And he'd say, you have six minutes. <laughs> I have to get through that canyon in six minutes. So, so fast driving. Yeah, so rather die a fiery death than uh, be a minute from my, late for my uncle, who would be standing out there in the driveway with his, really? with his watch, making sure that we were you know, on time, so. But lots of fond memories. I mean, we, we did, uh, you know, everything that came to taking care of the, of the farm, uh, irrigating, uh, weed control, which includes, you know, manual hoeing weeds as well as spraying weeds, uh, rodent control, you know, like gophers, squirrels, right. uh, pruning. Um, I mean, we did, it, we did it all. 
but you think you developed a love for uh, the wide open spaces and farms and ranches? Yeah, yeah, I really, I really did. I mean, I, you know, you're sitting out there on the tractor for hours at a time, kind of daydreaming, staring up at the, you know, going through the rows and staring up at the surrounding mountains. Mm. And, um, you know, went to, went to college to be a, actually to, to get a degree in farming and took a big, a big, really? de a big detour. Yeah. So went to UC Davis to get an ag degree and that didn't happen. But, uh, you know, that was, that was the thinking at the time. Knowledge is never a waste. That's right. So I took, <laughs> I took the fun classes. I took, uh, you know, tractor maintenance, and I had a plant science, basic plant science class where I planted radishes at different spaces and, um, you know, were the radishes that were tightly planted together, were they going to be smaller than, you know, spreading the seeds out a little mm -hmm. bit farther? So I wasn't too serious about it. I mean, I was kind of focusing in different areas, mm -hmm. but... Um, but you know, took the took the fun classes, riparian rights, water law, that kind of stuff. So you had a little uh, brush with politics too, is from what I understand. Yeah, so I ended up with a degree in uh, political science, which is kind of a degree in uselessness, <laughs> unless you're going to go on to law school, which I which I didn't do. But um, you know, I had, I had applied for a fellowship with in the California legislature. A tough position, and I, I was not chosen. I think there's maybe 30, 30 students that are chosen each year out of you know thousands of applicants. But I just happened to write a, a paper in, for one of my college classes, and we're talking, you know, 1991, um, that I had sent to my mom for whatever reason, and it was sitting out on her dining room table, and she was going to be taking a trip, and my sister's quite a bit younger than I am, so my sister was going to have a, a babysitter uh, while my mom was away, and this babysitter happened to read this paper that I wrote in college and thought that this was very well written, and actually informed my mom that, you know, she worked for the legislature just, hap just by chance. She worked for a California senator in the Oakland district office, and she informed my mom that she was going to be leaving her job in the next year or so. She, she was already she was going to go to Portugal and teach English. Mm -hmm. And she thought, just reading this paper, that I might be a great candidate for her job. Susie and I colluded, and I applied for an internship position, which is easy to get. I mean, you're not paid as an intern. Mm -hmm. um, I had already done a stint in Washington, D.C. for a few months in college. Okay. And so the senator hired me on as an in unpaid intern for, th for three or four months. Mm. And then Susie announced that she was going to be leaving her position. And uh, I thought, this is my opportunity. I'm going to jump in. Wow. And they did not think, I mean, they really didn't know a lot about me, right? I'm just this young kid who I'm writing happy birthday letters to constituents and I'm responding to constituent letters and I'm, you know, I'm not doing any policy work. Right. And, uh, but I applied for the position and I, I, I don't want to say I went to, to the top of the list, but I was definitely, you know, being seriously considered. And I had a, some interesting, um, uh, assignments or jobs mm -hmm. uh, that, that they, they, they thought that that was interesting. I had a stint at the Oakland Zoo. I uh, went to high school in Oakland. I even drove a cab for 11 days. That was wow. a, quite the experience, driving a cab in downtown Oakland. So there were all these things that they really didn't know about me. I mean, you know, again, getting in the internship was easy, but mm -hmm. you know, being hired to be on payroll was, was different. So um, learning more about me and the fact that I knew the district well, um, 
you know, I eventually, I eventually got the job. Mm -hmm. So my, my assignment, my job was to basically represent the senator mm -hmm. at different events and to also go to policy meetings and then report back to the, to the chief of staff. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I wasn't doing that, I was assisting constituents who would get caught up in the bureaucracy of different state agencies. And because I worked for the senator, I would have the phone numbers to you know, the top offices in every state agency. And probably, probably was good for developing good communication skills. It was, <laughs> it was, but, and, and the interesting thing about this particular senator is there were no, there were no rules. Like I could do whatever I wanted. You know, I went to work for another senator later, three years later, and they say, well, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. You can't go there. And I was like, what? And I was like, I had done all these amazing things for three years. I mean, I went to, I went to court with a gentleman who uh, couldn't see very well. And uh, I was kind of his eyes and ears. I went to court with a lady who was trying to get child support from her you know, deadbeat ex who worked at San Quentin. And uh, it was interesting because uh, San Quentin came to this hearing, or the representatives from the prison came to the hearing, and uh, they said, well, we're not sure if he got the court papers or not. We're, we're getting ready for the big execution next week. <laughs> and the judge said, you go back in my chambers and you call over there and see if he got the papers or not. So a lot of interesting things. I had a police officer who, who called me. He worked as the BART police officer, the Bay Area Rapid Transit. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had been attacked by gang members or whatnot. A lot of teeth were knocked out and he was in a lot of pain. And he made a comment to me. He said, um, you know, it's just, maybe it's just not worth it. You know, I've got a gun here in my desk. Maybe I'll just go ahead and end it. And I, you know, not trained for any of this stuff. Oh my and I said, you know, I'm 22 years old. And uh, I said, no, don't, you know, give me an hour. <laughs> I said, give me an hour, I'll call you back, right? Like, if, if I don't call you back in an hour, then you can, you know, go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> but I'll call you back in an hour. And I get off the phone and uh, I'm talking to the receptionist. And I said, man, I had the craziest call just now. I said, this police officer is talking about killing himself. And uh, she said, well, you know, maybe you should call the suicide hotline. I said, you, may, you know, maybe. And then, again, not trained. Mm. And uh, so this is old school. So I get, get out the yellow pages. And inside the cover is, you know, 911, suicide prevention. Call the suicide number. They answer the phone, tell them the story. They said, Don't, we'll take care of it. Thanks for calling. But a month go by. A month goes by, I get a call, no, it's all good, it's all good. So I get a call from a uh, psychiatrist um, out in the uh, Walnut Creek area, uh -huh. and he called to thank me. He was calling to thank the senator too, but he wanted to thank me that after I got off the, after I got off the phone with the police officer, he had actually reached in his desk, he did put the gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger, but the safety was on. And he took the gun out of his mouth, and at that moment the phone rang, and it was a suicide hotline, oh. and they convinced him not to kill himself. And I got a, I got a Christmas card with the picture of the family, you know, oh. him, his wife, the two kids, handwritten notes from the kids. So a lot of craziness. Oh. And uh, so did that for a while, and then um, went to the Chamber of Commerce world, uh, Hayward Chamber, Oakland Chamber, Chamber ran their political action mm. committees, um, you know, 
so did that for about two years, mm -hmm. and uh, had some, you know was surrounded by some some life changing experiences. Uh, lost three family members in a Ooh. in a two year stint. Um, so my father passed away at the end of '99. My great uncle, who I mm. described as kind of like um, Ernest Hemingway yeah. here in Ventura County, and my grandmother, who I lived with every summer, mm. uh, you know, working on the farm. So yeah. all three of those folks so. who were big influences in my life passed away in a short time and I just kind of you know took notice of my life and time is ticking and you know I better better make some make some, make some changes while I have an opportunity so and you made the changes I did I, I quit my job my my dad was uh, was a uh, an antique collector but beyond that he was also a hoarder he had Ooh. so much stuff that he couldn't display it in his house so uh, I calculated that he had about 10,000 items. And, you know, some of it was junky, but a lot of it was just amazing stuff. I mean, toys from the 1950s wow. and porcelain signs and vintage watches and clocks and German steins and um, But he wasn't, good tools. he wasn't good at selling? Oh, it wasn't about selling. It was about, you know, a hoarder. It's all about the purchase and the feeling that you get when you, when you collect that item. It, it brings back oh, a memory. Man. It's like a childhood. For him, it was rekindling his childhood. He lived in a big Tudor house in White Plains, New York, oh, yeah. uh, surrounded by beautiful things. His dad passed away at a young age. And so I think, you know, reading on hoarding, yeah. that, you know, when you, especially when you're buying this amazing stuff, right. it's, uh, it's, it's creating a, a, a warm feeling from the past. For him, yeah. it was, at least. And so I, I uh, took stock of my life and I quit my five year stint or six year stint in the political world and I declared myself an antique dealer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, people, okay. thought, people thought I was insane because uh, my, two, my two predecessors at the Chamber of Commerce in Oakland had gone on to work at the Port of Oakland in the government affairs department and you know uh -huh. paid quite well i'm sure and you know clock in at nine and clock out at five and not worried about your next paycheck and um so i scouted uh antique shops up and down the east bay area uh -huh. ended up in a, a shop in uh, danville near walnut creek the nice town uh -huh. and i had the back room with the cool stuff so it was a collective about 13 dealers and um, I, I had my own little room to myself, and because I had inherited this collection, I didn't have to go out and, you know, create the collection. I, I had the collection. Now, I did buy my brother and sister out. Okay, when my dad passed away, I, we figured out a value to the antiques, and I paid my brother and sister for their portions, realizing later on that I paid them way too much. Yeah, that, way that too much. Right. Way too much. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I, I was discovered in that little room by mm -hmm. avid collectors. And this was, you know, there was no Amazon. There was eBay, uh -huh. okay? The eBay was just kind of starting. Uh -huh. um, but people still liked to go to antique shops, and it sure. was still kind of like the find and the treasures. Sure. Yeah. And I started doing shows. So I had a mentor. He was a retired um, uh, a parole officer with the county, but uh -huh. he was, you know, a lot of retirees in the antique world. And I bought a ticket to the Hillsboro show over by Palo Alto. And Hills, uh, Hillsboro is the kind of the holy grail 
of antique shows. Oh. Okay, so I, I, I understand that Oprah's people, you know, came to Hillsborough to help decorate some of her, her homes. I see. And uh, he, stuff. yeah, and so he said, wow, you, you bought a ticket to the, how'd you get to Hillsborough? He's like, he was all kind of flummoxed that I, you know, was going to Hillsborough. And I said, nice. well, I just paid my money. And they said, yes. And so I said, well, do you want to come with me? And so he's like, sure. So we loaded up the van and for three days we were over there selling selling stuff and, and yeah and I and I did some street fairs and I never thought about sales at all I mean it never had crossed my mind not once until I got this collection and what am I going to do with all these antiques so you, you know? found that you had a little talent for that yeah I just I literally <laughs> just stumbled into it and then you know the kind of the writing was on the wall that I either have to be you know American pickers and you know, get up at four o'clock in the morning and start yeah. replenishing this collection. Maybe even earlier. Or, or, or <laughs> earlier and traveling, you know, distances. Yeah. Um, you know, or I'm just going to liquidate the collection and figure out, you know, what's next. Mm. So I thought, well, what could I sell that I would enjoy selling um, other than antiques? Because it's not really a career. It's just a, a hobby, really. Right. And uh, I thought, well, I'll sell real estate. How, how hard could that be? Right? I mean, I just had no clue what, what it was what all was about. What was the market like then? Well, I, you know, I didn't even know. I mean, it was just, you know, I was just... You didn't have I, I was just, to. No, I was just greener than green. I was just, you know, <laughs> you know, basically my understanding of real estate was, you know, whatever HDTV had on at the time... Right. that my girlfriend and I at the time were watching. You know, it's like in 30 minutes you go look at three houses and you, you know, buy one of the three houses that you look at in a 30 minute period, you know. It's just if it were if it were only if it were only like that. So, yeah, I was just completely green. Now, my my girlfriend and I um we, you know, broke up and I thought, god, I could go I could go anywhere. You know, I could live anywhere at this point. I don't have any obligations. I don't have to take care of anybody. I'm going to move to Ventura County, where I spend all my get out of the Bay Area, the big bad Bay Area, and mm. go to Ventura County, where I have fond memories and family and good friends, and uh, I'll start my, start my career there. So I started walking door to door, which I don't know if I recommend that, with a, around Christmas time with the Santa Claus hat on my head. That's grassroots. Pretty, pretty desperate. Pretty <laughs> desperate. And, uh, you know, there was no plan B. I think that's how it probably goes when you yeah when you do well you start start all in yeah and it, you know this is another interesting side story but I was getting on the freeway one day and um, in the 101 freeway mm -hmm. feeling sorry for myself mm -hmm. and my grandmother who had passed away a year and a half earlier actually took took her death for me to actually finally move closer to her because she had always been bugging me to trying to bribe me to oh, really? you know move closer um popped in my head and i mean i her i could see her as clearly in my mind as i'm looking at you right now wow. yeah and she brought my grandfather and my great uncle with her they were sitting around her cart they were big happy hour people so sitting around the card table and they've got the cocktails and she's got her cigarette with the ash too long. Yeah. And, uh, and then she brought the generation before that. Now I could not tell you um, now who was who? Their, their, who was who, but in that vision I knew exactly who each person was. And I had, I had seen them all in photographs. This happened while you were driving? This happened while I was driving. And it was like, kind of like looking at a, at a Harry Potter painting. I mean, these people were, were moving and they were 
but they were clear as day. Oh, you know, there's my great-great-grandfather, and there's my great-great-grandmother. Wow. And so she, she collected all these people to come into, my, into the vision, when, again, when I was feeling sorry for myself, and got on one freeway on-ramp and got off maybe two exits later. So I wasn't, it was probably like a 45-second type of a thing, maybe yeah. one minute, one minute, and I was, you know, come back, come back. And uh, months later, I'm fiddling through my, uh, my desk and I found this old letter that my mother had, had uh, given me um, after my grandmother had passed away. And I had written this letter to my grandmother years earlier. I mean, I'd totally forgotten about it. And um, in the letter, she said, um, I'm putting together my, my affairs, my estate. Um, please provide, uh, it was all you know, typed on an old Mac that yeah. I'm sure my mother had typed it for her. Um, please provide a list of three items that you would like uh, in my will. In, 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 you know, and I'll see if I, can, if I can get these items to you. And so the first two items were material items that I still have today. And the, the third item that I asked for was for her to um, say hi to me sometime when I'm feeling sorry for myself. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, wow. yeah. So I was going to say, let's go back to the vision. What, what, yeah, you see the people, but what transpires? Is it just kind of a feeling of connection or is there some kind of communication? Well, I'm pretty dense. So I, I didn't realize at the time what was happening. Okay, I, at the beginning, I didn't realize what was happening. It was just right. kind of like, okay, you think about somebody. You know, you can kind of get a sense of what they look like right. if you think about, you know, your best friend or your, yeah. your mom, right? right? You mean, you don't know every line on their face, but right. you know generally what they look like. Right. Um, this was different. You know, she, she, she came into my head, and it was just, again, like she was, like, s sitting right there. And now... It was a warm environment. I'm, I'm driving down the freeway. She's sitting at her, at her card table in her family room, which was a very familiar place for me and for her, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but in my head, that's where she was. But I could see every, every wrinkle in her face. So I'm trying to understand what, so you're driving, but you, it, it's like a, you're seeing the road and you're seeing this other thing on top of it? Yeah. Transparent? Yeah, you're just driving just because. It's like a thought, but it's, it's more visual. It's very visual. Yeah, and then wow. and then she brings my grandfather and my great uncle, okay, uh -huh. her her husband and her brother-in-law. They were sitting around the, the the card table, and then behind them on the couch were probably a half a dozen other family members who either passed away when I was mm -hmm. very very young or even before I was born. But I knew who they all were in my in the vision, yeah. and they were all equally clear. Their, their faces were all equally clear. So and it was just, to pick you up and they, well. yeah, yeah. So she basically gave me this gift that mm -hmm. I had forgotten about asking for eight years earlier, 10 years earlier. And timed it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I was literally <laughs> feeling sorry for myself. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was uh, you know, and there was no plan B. I mean, I didn't know how things were gonna play out. Right, right. You know, so. It was, a, it, was a, it was a busy time for people who had been in the business uh, yeah. for a while, you know. I mean, for me, it was, I had nothing. But for people who had been in the business, uh, it, was a, it was definitely a, a booming, you know, 2003 was a, yeah. was a booming time. I wanted to just kind of go back to real estate today, if mm -hmm. I could. 
and ask, what is it, what's it like today? And we're talking about uh, January of 2023. Right. And uh, it's, 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 it's kind of notoriously a bad time for, for realtors, but maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. People that are interested in buying or selling. Sure. Well, it is a very challenging time. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And COVID was, you know, once in a 100 year event, yeah. pandemic. So three things happened. I noticed that three things happened in COVID. One happened early on, like first was the fear of COVID itself. You know, mm -hmm. we're all going to die and we got to stay away from our neighbors and we got to put our food outside in the sun before we bring it in the house to kill the germs. And so, you know, folks in LA would call me about living out in the country and maybe they would homeschool their kids, oh, right? They right. could just get away from neighbors. Uh, they'd saved up enough money. You know, buying a farm is not a cheap endeavor. Right. So, especially here. And so they wanted to move out to the country, right? There's kind of that fear of the unknown, fear of COVID, and we're gonna kind of go back, go back to nature. He's a perfect guy. That's oh, a perfect guy. <laughs> um, the second thing that happened uh, with COVID was the interest rates were low. Yeah. I mean really low yeah. and you know how residential was you know 2.6 2.7 for a little while i mean just unheard of right. uh buying a farm was as low as three and a half I mean, that had never happened before ever right, right? by a by a farm at three and a half percent interest rate so it was just gangbusters now the third thing that really really kind of created the frenzy i think was when the boss said hey don't come to the office work from home right so you had the fear the rates and work from home, right? right? So for two plus years, it was just, it was crazy. I mean, you know, 10 offers on everything, 15 offers. We're talking about homes in town. Yeah. But even the hard to sell farm properties, you know, some of them I call dust collectors, you know, they, they're gonna take a while because the buyer is a very special, special person that wants to buy. They don't, they don't need to buy this property. They, they want this property for a specific reason, right? They don't, mm -hmm. If they don't like it, they're gonna wait another six months to 12 months till they look at something else. And they, that became hot property. <laughs> hot, hot property, hot property. So that went on. And so, you know, there were rumblings about rates going up. Yeah. Uh, with every rate increase, it always takes, uh, you know, a little bit of, of adjustment mentally, I think for the public to, right. to say, okay, we can still afford that. That's still reasonable. We can, you know, mm. we're okay with that rate. But when it went up again and again and again and again, it was like, okay, they're really just trying to, you know, shut this down and, and bring the, I, I get it, bring, yeah. bring inflation down. Right. But it just put the, it just stopped real estate. Put the kibosh on. On real estate, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, there, there is still stuff happening. I mean, not, but maybe 10% of what was happening is just, but it's down dramatically. And it's probably gonna be a couple more quarters before, you know, rates finally start to, you know, come down. Now, prices are coming down, right? I mean, prices, if people want to yeah. sell, prices are coming down. But for this particular area, there's still, prices are still not coming down enough to match what, you know, what the, how, how high the rates have gone to, right. to make that payment affordable yeah. uh, for folks. Well, it was a boom time. It was a boom time. So, <laughs> yeah, not, nothing lasts forever. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, in your you think that uh, the future is going to kind of take, I mean, do you have a sense of how long it's going to take before it feels like it's leveled off a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I think probably a year, 
But mm -hmm. I think I think you know in six months I think we're going to see you know it's, it, it's going to improve. I mean we're, we're it's it's going to improve. So, um, but yeah, I think in a year we'll be we'll be good. I, I'm not worried about our area. You know, I mean it's we're we're wedged in between Los Angeles, which has you know 25 percent of the entire state. Yeah. 10 million people out of 40 million live in yeah. LA County. I don't know if people realize that that you know. 25% of the entire state is wedged into one county. Try not to think of it, especially I, when I you're on the road. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then here we are with, you know, about 900,000. Yeah. So, and then to the north of us is Santa Barbara, which is, you know, that's yeah. kind of an international clientele that, right. you know, just a fraction of anybody can afford to live up there. So we're kind of wedged in between one market and another right. with the same weather um, and not really the population. So... And there's still a, a high demand with the lack of supply, so that's not going to change anytime wow. soon. So we're still going to have a lack of supply. So I don't, I don't see prices really um, crashing here. I mean, maybe in other parts of the country they come down dramatically, but I just mm -hmm. don't see that here. I mean, yes, they'll, they'll, they'll drop a little bit more, but I think really when rates come down then, right. and prices will come down a little bit, then we'll start to see things move. But it's going to be it's going to be a little bit more time. So in the farming world, who are your clients? Well, I have two two types of clients. Mm -hmm. uh, one I call my handholders, okay, and the other group are 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 my farmers, okay. So handholders, and I'm not knocking them, no. are typically city folk who want to buy a weekend farm or want a complete lifestyle change, and want to live on a farm. Those are my handholders because they have lots of questions. Mm -hmm. um, there's fear of the unknown, but this is a, a, a childhood dream or a long-time dream. And they're finally making their, you know, they're at a point in life where they can, before it's too late, where they can make this dream a reality. Mm -hmm. But they do um, take a lot of time and uh, they ask a lot of questions because it's not just buying a house. Mm -hmm. You know, there's water questions, soil questions, uh, you know, cost questions, uh, just sure. everything. Yeah. And then there are my farmer clients. They already know. They already know. I keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I just respond when asked. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so those are the two groups. Now, typically the, uh, the city folk are yeah. going to buy a smaller property. Right. You know, maybe just you know, a couple acres, have some chickens, maybe have a horse, right. maybe have a little family, what we call a family orchard, an assortment of different types of trees. Yeah. Maybe they buy a 20-acre avocado ranch, um, but that's probably as big as they're going to go. Huh. Okay. Um, the farmer client, and then in some cases, the, the city folk investor, who's just going to be complete absentee, uh, they would want something bigger, you know, 40-acre right. minimum, 80, 100 acres. Wow. So kind of two different groups, but buying in the same, uh, I mean, the, the, loan, the lender would be the same, right? You'd want an agricultural lender to help you. Uh, with those types of properties. So if a potential client wanted to find you, mm -hmm. how would they go about getting in touch with you? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> so uh, best is to text me, yeah. uh, my cell phone, 805-479-5004. Of course, you can email me too, paul at homeandranchteam.com. A little bit long, but paul at homeandranchteam.com. Excellent. And uh, you also have a website, don't you? I do, homeandranchteam.com. And also my original website is somasrealestate.com. Very good. Mm -hmm. Excellent. 
Maybe I'll buy a farm someday. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being with us, and I'll let you do the end tag since you're the you're the pro. Sure. Well, thank you, Gerald. <laughs> this was a great a great experience. Yeah, it was fun being on this other end of the of the chair, I guess, other end of the couch. Now you know how it feels. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> And of course, we want to thank our sponsors, uh, our new sponsor, Opus Escrow, and of course, the Money Store. So thank you so much, and we look forward to seeing you on the next edition of Farm Talk. <laughs> <laughs>